action. Welcome to Torn Stubbs, the Trash Movie Podcast with me, Robert Gershenson, photographer and head of podcast at Trash, which could be found at movetotrash.co.uk. And Joshua Winning, the greatest film critic you've never heard of. And we're going to the movies. Psycho is a 1960 thriller directed by Alfred Hitchcock and also a 1998 shot-for-shot remake directed by Gus Van Sant. So there's this office girl called Marion Crane and she acts out of character and she steals a sizable amount of cash. In the 1960 original, it's $40,000. In the 1998 remake, it's $400,000 and this is in cash. Inflation. She heads out of town and she stops for the night at the Bates Motel, which is this shoddy roadside establishment and it's run by this 20-something guy called Norman Bates. She confesses that she's gotten herself into a bit of bother, but she wants to go back and make amends. But first, she takes a shower. Oh, oh God. You'd obviously seen this before, right? Yeah, I've seen both of them before. Have you? Yeah, yeah, I'd seen the original. And obviously, I'd seen the remake. I hadn't seen the remake in a long time. I hadn't seen the original in a long time. No, I think I saw both of them as a teenager. Yeah. So... Not that long ago. I mean, I'd seen bits on movie compilation shows or whatever and and discussion shows, but I'd never sat down to watch either in a long, long, long time. Maybe 20 years. Yeah, same. It's weird to think that, but because it's it's still the first original film still feels so kind of ingrained in my memory from having watched it years ago. Well, it's it's ingrained in cinema history and you can't talk about horror without bringing up Psycho. Yeah. But the thing that struck me the most is that we've covered north by northwest on this podcast before and this is the film that Alfred Hitchcock made directly after north by northwest and yet north by northwest seems so much older than psycho yeah they all of all of them do like vertigo was just before that dialem for murder was just before that it's this film i think perhaps because of the black and white um, and it, the kind of, apart from certain lines of dialogue, like um, let's get married and stuff at the beginning of the film, it doesn't feel hugely dated. It feels like this kind of really quite still contemporary uh, kind of cautionary tale, I guess, or like the, the psychology of it still feels kind of interesting and weird and scary even if the... Do you think it keeps it relevant and fresh? Yeah. Although, you know how we talked about in American Psycho, how Hollywood had appropriated the, the term psycho yes. to mean something more. This this film kind of started that trend, I think, kind of of the fear of the psycho. Um, and But it doesn't actually... It doesn't feel... I mean, it, obviously, it's very heightened reality, apart from people like ed gein this isn't happening all over the place yeah um but it still feels kind of almost realistic like you believe that somebody would flip like they've had such an awful life they would flip and become this thing that kills people in in the, it's like a spider in a trap isn't it it's like yeah especially with in in, in the case of marion crane the mm. the lead female character what surprised me one of the things that surprised me the most is that she's not your typical femme fatale. She's not scheming. She's not like 
Maria thingamajiggy in North by Northwest. Mm. She's not knowing. She's just a chancer. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think this is the first time she's ever done this kind of robbery? This She's nicked, you know, either 40000 or 400000 dollars in cash and she's gone right i'm leaving the city yeah and you know she's nervously swapped her car out for another one do you think that's the first time she's done this yeah because in the opening scene when she's she's just finished having a bit of an afternoon sesh with her um with her lover sam loomis um played by john gavin in the original and played by Viggo mortensen in the remake Mm -hmm. and she kind of says this is the last time we do this um you know we need to you're still with your wife, even though she's kind of miles away and you mm-hmm. hate her. Um, you know, this is the last time we do this. So it's kind of like an act of, an impulsive act of desperation. And she takes this money because she thinks it will pay off. Um, his debt. His debt. Yeah. And he can get divorced and he can be with the woman he actually loves. Um, so yeah, I definitely think it's kind of this emotional knee-jerk reaction where when she has this money physically in her hands, She's like, God, this would be so easy just to take this. And it is easy to take it. She does. She just, she hop yeah. skips out that, out the city. Jumps out of the state. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember the end of North by Northwest? Remember what was happening in the very closing moments? Oh, the, the train tunnel? Yeah. Yeah. But do you, what that was symbolizing? Yeah, intercourse. And how does this film begin? Oh, pushing through a window? No, sex. <laughs> they're yeah, about well, to have, they're about to have sex in North by Northwest and the film ends. Oh, they've yeah. just had sex and this film begins. Yeah, that's true. It's super racy. So racy. He is so hot. John Gavin is like so <laughs> sexy. You're his... not a fan of Vito. Vito no, he was Vigo. Vigo he was Mort- even sexier. What's his name? Vigo Mortensen. Yeah, he was even sexier. I love how you know, obviously we're gonna make comparisons between the two films, but I love even though and also the remake kind of has its detractors and people who hated it. It's very interesting as kind of a, a cinematic document that shows how time has progressed. Yeah. So in the 60s, obviously, having Janet Lee in her bra and um, John Gavin topless, that was like, oh my God. So, so scandalous. Pull the, pull the bed sheets up. <laughs> and then in the remake, Viggo Mortensen is completely naked. Start bollock naked. And so is she until she puts her bra on. Yeah. Um, and that, But that leads to some great humor when... He's like, oh, I'll come out. I'll follow you out the building. And she's like, you need to put your shoes on. And in the original, he's fully dressed. And in the remake, he's stark bollock naked. So that is actually one of the funniest things that happens in the original. In the remake, sorry. I think this is Hitchcock's most visually amazing movie. And it's just the first half, in fact. Yeah, it is. The first um, half is like this perfect mini movie. But the, the, the first half is, to be honest, the first half on its own, up until the end of the shower scene could just be a really amazing episode of the Twilight Zone or his horror anthology series yeah. that he had, Mysteries or whatever it was called. But there's this wonderful moment where she's reached the motel and Norman has shown her to her room and they're standing facing each other. Norman's by the door and he's looking to the left of the frame as we see it, our left, and she's by a mirror looking to the right, our right, the right of the frame. And they're cut in between these two one shots. Mm-hmm. She's reflected in the mirror behind her. So there's two Marion Cranes in one in the scene. And he's by the door, not reflected on anything, but the door frame, the door number says one. Mm-hmm. So there's one Norman in the frame, and there's two Marions. And it suggests that, you know, she's not just this sweet little office girl. Yeah. She's a thief. And Norman is as he as he as he comes across as just this regular 
nervous little schmo. Mm-hmm. Then he goes up to the house, argues with Mummy. mother. Yeah. Very uh, loudly. Very loudly. Well, she's yeah. got, she's obviously a Jewish mother. My mother is <laughs> very loud. Um, so he argues with mother, inverted commas, comes back down, talks to her outside. He's got a tray of food. He stood outside her motel room. He's reflected in the window. Uh, She's not. Yeah. They've completely flipped. Yeah. We're edging towards more of the truth that there's a different side to Norman that we didn't realize and we still don't realize and we mm. don't know until the end. And she's, in fact, the innocent one here. Yeah. So there's this great interplay, this great visual storytelling. Water and rain, it's constantly raining mm. on the way to the Bates Motel. And you've got this violent swish, 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 swish of the, the, the window wipers. And it's like what's going to happen in the shower scene. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a, it's like a act of God, kind of a warning sign, you know? Yeah. It's just driven off the road by the rain, but it's also warning her not to do it. Just these visual ticks. And it all leads up to this shower scene. Yeah. Does the movie recover? And then I'm talking mainly just the first movie, just the original. Does Uh it recover from the shower scene? No, it doesn't really. It kind of, it's more like explaining what happened. It's more kind of going, well, well, I mean, at the time, I suppose, yes, it's a huge shock. Janet Lee was a huge star. She was married to Tony Curtis. She'd done all these films with MGM. She was in touch with evil. Killing her off was like a, what? Like a massive, what the fudge? Um, And so, yeah, that, I, I wonder if that powered people through and they really wanted to know why, who, why, who was the mother really? Why did she do it? Um, but the first half of the film is very much about Marion Crane. The second half is about Norman Bates, I think. Yes. Um, so it's more like an explanation than a, a satisfactory continuation of the narrative. But it's, it's like episode one and two of a two-part series. It is, yeah. And it doesn't have that same primal power to it. No, it doesn't. Um, and it doesn't have the same visual quality to it. No, which is actually the thing that the remake does better i think yeah is that it had the genius the, the stroke of genius to cast julianne moore as the sister yeah whereas in the original film as good as she is um i've completely forgotten her name uh, vera miles she's kind of she's uppity and strong-willed but not in an interesting way oh she's not aggressive like julianne moore and julianne moore comes in like a pit bull with yeah. her bright yellow headphones on <laughs> and she's not going to take no for an answer no, no, no. and she's the she's one she's a 90s woman yes exactly yeah. and she's the one who powers it through to the finale whereas the the original film is still obviously fantastically well made um and i guess in the day when you didn't know what the twist was what was going on with norman yeah that would have been really quite horrifying um but to a modern audience i'm not sure it really is as strong as it could be is Anthony Perkins strong enough to carry the second half of the movie. Absolutely. He's so good. He is My phenomenal. God. He's, there's that... That there's, parlor scene. The parlor scene is a work of genius in terms of And acting. it's him. It's all him. It's all him. Like there's that, there's that moment where he is suddenly talking about his mother mm-hmm. and he goes glassy eyed. He doesn't blink for a second. She's sitting there suddenly thinking, oh God, have I... Because she said, maybe you should put your mother in a home. Yeah. And he's like, funny how they call Madhouse a someplace. Yeah. <laughs> and he, and he, he comes up with these classic lines like, you know, everyone goes a little mad sometimes. Yeah. Which was then used in Scream by Billy Loomis to kind of, you know, justify his own behavior. Yeah. 
Um, but that performance, my God, he is so good in a way that Vince Vaughn, sadly, I don't want to beat Vince Vaughn up, but he just isn't the same actor. No, but um, it's not the same portrayal. So no, and for me, Anthony Perkins, that performance in the 1960s film is the reason why the film is so fresh. Yeah. Because you could look at every other line, every other delivery in that film by anyone else, and you say, this is a film made in the 50s, released in the 60s. Mm-hmm. You know, made in 59, released in 1960. But Anthony Perkins, you could take that performance beat for beat and put it in a film now with Zac Efron or with <laughs> Tom Hanks, whoever. I would love to see that. But it would, and it have it play the same and it wouldn't jar. That, yeah. that, I would love to go back to 1960 and watch that performance and just be completely blown away by how how future proof it is. It doesn't. Mm. It's not. It's not a pre 70s performance. It yeah. feels like you know a Godfather performance. It feels like you know the the method school of acting. Well, because he was a theatre actor, so he knew how to kind of climb inside somebody's skin in a very Ed Gein kind of way. Yeah, um, and he. Yeah, he, you watch him go from being... He transforms across the film from being this kind of like bumbling, nerdy, yet tall guy. Like, you don't really notice how tall he is until mm. later in the film when you're like, this guy is actually quite scary. Yeah. Um, and he goes from like kid, basically, like bumbling kid to someone who's got an edge and you're not really sure what's going on. Then you find that he's kind of perving on Marion through the wall and you're like, oh, okay, now it's getting a bit weird. And then all the way up to that final um, shot of him when he'd been arrested and he was in that room with the blank space yeah, around and him. and the fly. They would say, oh, I wouldn't God. even have a fly. So, so good. And that final shot of him looking kind of slightly tilted up to camera with his eyes gleaming. And he, he kind of they superimposed the skull at the last second. Yeah. But just before that, it's already terrifying. And you just think, wow, this is a man who... Is having more than a little moment of madness. He, he absolutely for me makes that film. Everyone always talks about the shower scene. Always talks about the fact that they killed off Janet Lee halfway through. None of that, none of that is relevant if it weren't for Anthony Perkins. Mm. I completely believe in his version of the character, which is someone who's been sheltered from the realities of being a regular normal quote-unquote um member of society mm-hmm. the vince vaughn portrayal is too street smart he's too knowing and too I, mannered too mannered and like vince vaughn is a wonderful when he wants to be he is a brilliant brilliant actor he but does a lot not... of shit comedies <laughs> yeah but he doesn't he does he has a very different physicality to um to normal uh, anthony perkins mm. anthony perkins is a book kid Vince Vaughn, he looks like a brawler. He looks like he could smack you down in the street. He's too street smart. He's a man. He's, he's too knowing. Yeah, Anthony Perkins is is a kid. Do you think it helps that Anthony Perkins was a closeted bisexual having affairs with uh, Rock Hudson and Tab Hunter? So he understood mm. the the internal dilemma that one has when you need to hide certain attributes oh god yeah definitely i didn't actually know that i don't think you didn't well i feel like that's something i knew and i forgot but okay yeah that that would definitely inform that performance because he has a way of letting 
kind of a truth slip through almost imperceptibly for a moment. Mm. And it's a performance that only really grows with the watching. You know, it just gets better and better the more you watch it. It's crazy. If you didn't know the final spoiler, yeah, you would then go back and you would see, ah, oh, I mm-hmm. see what he's doing. In a way, you could follow the white rabbit. In a way, you could say he's playing three or four different characters. The little nerdy kid, then slightly cocky when the the detective is questioning him. And then he starts crumbling and and tripping up on his own lies. Mm. And then mother. Yeah. But I think uh, Janet Leigh is also amazing in the film. And that only becomes really apparent when you compare her to Anne Hesh's performance. You don't think Anne Hesh is good? I thought... Is it Hesh or Hesh? I don't know. But Annie. She plays a different kind of Marion that I didn't find interesting. I think that if... If Nicole Kidman, who was the first choice, if she had played Marion Crane, I think that would have been a far more interesting performance because it wouldn't necessarily have been very different to Janet Leigh's, though. That's the only problem, I suppose. But Janet Leigh, Janet Leigh has a a brittle yet steely feel to her. Yeah. In I guess in the way that Anthony Perkins has that kind of boyish feel to him, she feels like a womanly woman. Yeah. Um, and she's not really afraid of anything. Um, and you didn't feel that Anne Hesh did that as well? Anne Hesh was kind of like a hippie flower child. Uh-huh. She, she was kind of quirky. Like um, Zoe Deschanel. Yeah, she didn't. She didn't have the same poise as Janet Leigh. And I'm not saying that she shouldn't necessarily have just copied that performance because that would have been equally ridiculous. But I felt that she just wasn't um, interesting. I've seen Anne Hesch do that performance in Ali McBeal and various other films that she's done. And I just didn't really feel engaged, to be honest. When do you think he decided to kill her? I think he just... I think he... um, he suspected he wanted to when she when he says, oh, um, you know, Mrs. And she says, oh, Miss Crane, because she's flustered and she forgets that she's actually written Ma- Maria or Mary Samuels yeah. in the book. And he's like, ah, because he's already suspected. He's already thought about it when she says she's from Los Angeles and he's thinking, ah, she's a city bird. No one's going to miss her. I think even then he's thinking about it. I think it's when he feels threatened mm. by her. Because obviously he, he can't handle the, the sexual thoughts that he's having immediately from the start. I mean, he doesn't even, when he's spying on her, he doesn't even wank. Vince no. Ford does. Yeah, another show of how the times have changed. Exactly, yeah. yeah. But the fact that his character can't even, in secret, act on the, the thoughts that he's having. Mm. But it's when he feels threatened about mother. And when she suggests you should put her in a home mm. and she's known him for five minutes. Yeah. So who the fuck is she to say this? So he feels threatened. And if he doesn't have mother, then who is he? Yeah. I, if I, he is completely mother, more mother than Norman. It's not just a threat to mother. It's a threat to him. Yeah. And I he lashes out that. the only way he knows how. I love the transaction between them in that scene. In the parlor scene. Yeah. Cause she, le- she gets, she goes away from it feeling optimistic and he goes away from it feeling murderous. Yeah. <laughs> like the worst date ever. <laughs> it's like, don't call me, I'll call you. <laughs> yeah, I love that scene because it's like, he's 
he's so knowledgeable without realizing it. When he talks about traps, we all have our own per- personal traps and we don't fight them. We fight each other and the things around us. It's such a great bit of dialogue. Is it the first time he's killed? No, that swamp's full of cars. Are you sure? Yeah, definitely. Just that nobody had quite as many people interested. Like if she hadn't stolen that money, yeah. obviously she wouldn't have gone to the motel. But saying she'd gone to the motel without having stolen the money, would they have chased her quite so enthusiastically? Well, there I, wouldn't be a trace, would there? There wouldn't be a trace. There'd be no link. There'd no. be no reason to find her. I think. I mean, the sister would try to find her. Yeah. But I don't know if she would be have... She, the, the the private investigator for a start, he wouldn't have been involved. Yeah. Because he was only sent to get the money back and her. So it More would, the money, yeah. Yeah, so it would just be the sister going after her. So if, if, you know, there were other women who were perhaps more disposable or less um, criminal, <laughs> then they wouldn't have been missed necessarily. I believe he's, that's not the first time he's killed, but that's, but for different reasons. Mm. It's his clear up. We killed his mother, obviously. Sorry? He killed his mother, obviously. Yeah, but, but talk, just yeah. talking about in that, that yeah. manner, he's, his clear-up operation is so yeah. efficient. He knows exactly what to do, and he does it calmly. Mm. It's as if he's just cleaning a room after a guest has checked out. And actually, that I was surprised, because I really thought the shower scene was going to get me, but the thing that got me was him in the bedroom, checking the drawers and looking around packing her bag, putting it in the back of the car. Yeah. That is really creepy. Yeah. That really got under my skin. It was like, you are completely eradicating this human being. She's gone. There's no trace of her. Yeah. And that's terrifying, that thought that somebody can just wipe you out completely. Which is a very 1960s and 1998 thing. It would be almost Mm. impossible now. Yeah. Everyone's fucking geotagged. If you got a a dark light on that bathroom floor, it would light up like the 4th of July. But even just traceable, you know, I would have checked in, someone would have checked into Foursquare or whatever, or Facebook. (laughs) You know, I would, you know, the first thing you do when you get to the hotel is do an Instagram story. I'm at the hotel, bro. (laughs) But that's why the remake, if the the remake had been done this year. Yeah. She wouldn't have been doing a sum on a bit of paper and throwing it in the toilet. The whole, all of those clues and things, they fall apart under modern I mean, I always life. do my easy sums like that. Always. I loved, I loved how she was doing her sums in the original version just to take $7,000 away from $40,000. She's like, a terrible worker. Yeah, she's not a secretary, is she? Well, she would have grown up, let's say, in the 40s, then the mm. 50s. She might not have gone to school. Yeah, maybe. Who, who do you find more sympathetic are you more sympathetic towards marion and the fact that she was murdered and almost wiped out or are you more sympathetic towards norman yeah that's a good question um i guess i suppose it goes back to that the episode of monster that we did with charlie theron playing i need what i live i can never say werner's werner's i think it's possible to have sympathy for somebody without condoning their actions like you can have sympathy for someone being fucked up yeah mentally you can't condone them being a murderer you can understand what you can understand who they are as a person i think maybe you sympathize with marion and you empathize with norman you kind of understand him but you feel the tragedy for her what do you think it's a really tough one because norman is clearly a product of his environment Mm. 
he's in the in the Anthony Perkins performance. He's clearly a very sheltered guy, and his mother clearly hasn't taught him right from wrong. And from what we understand from the backstory, she kind of sidelined him for the new husband, and that's why Norman took revenge. Mm. But she hasn't instilled in him a moral compass. Marion has a moral compass. She fucks up and then she says, I need to make this right. I'm going to go back. Oh, mm. I need to have a shower. Bad decision. <laughs> Last thing you ever do. But yeah. first, let me take a selfie. <laughs> so it, it's, it's really difficult. Has she fucked herself over because she does know better? And does that mean she loses my sympathy? Or do I sympathize with Norman because he doesn't know better, but he does much worse things than Marion? Yeah. Is he responsible for his own <clears throat> kind of psychological trauma? No, but he is responsible for his actions. But does he know what he's doing is wrong if he thinks he is mother? He's clear, he's yeah. got, he has psychosis. He has, he is a psychopath. He clearly doesn't have empathy. You know, the book has a, a like a double twist where we're, we're kind of told that the mother part of his psyche is actually the innocent part and Norman is the murderer. So the mother emerges yeah. because she is horrified at what Norman has done and she's trying to stop Norman from killing. I mean, it's, I think it's a, a, it's a bit stupid. So he's, Why was that cut out of the film? That, that wouldn't... I mean, as the film stands now, who did, have, who did Hitchcock want us to, to identify with or, or sympathise with? Because as it stands, mm, I don't know. He's, they're saying that Norman is so far gone. Norman's actually gone and it's, the mother has completely taken over. That's why when we've got that final shot of him sat in the holding cell and he's got the blankets on him, it's mother's voiceover. They don't think I'm going to hurt a fly or whatever it was. They'll say I mm. want to hurt a fly. Yeah. It's not Norman. No. And then, but that would suggest that mother is bad and not Norman. Yeah. And the book suggests the other way? Yeah, I think so. But it doesn't really make any sense. I think that... Neither makes sense. No. It's just bizarre it's just that like... Hitchcock's elected to mm. put the blame on the opposite person. Yeah. I do not... The thing that I really think is so great about the original Psycho is that it's like structurally one of the most audacious things ever made, surely. Yeah. Because the book by um, Robert Block. It's about Norman Bates. It starts with Norman Bates. Oh, really? It follows Norman Bates' story. Marion Crane is not the star. Screenwriter Joseph Stefano, when he um, started writing the script for Psycho, yeah. he's the one who went to Hitchcock and said, the star of the film is Marion Crane. We start with Marion Crane. Yeah. And then we kill her off in the middle. And Hitchcock was like, genius, let's cast a big star in the role. And so like, Structurally, this does not adapt the book at all, really. But that not that the best way to adapt? Oh, yeah, definitely. Books like that. Yeah, it's genius. You know, Kubrick looked at Lolita and said, well, the first 10 chapters of this book is just all this chuffer backstory. Let's just right. cut this out, start with the moment he actually meets the fucking girl. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's so much better for it. I've tried mm. to watch the 1997 Adrian Lin adaptation of the book. Right. of Lolita yeah. and it is dry as <laughs> fuck because you just keep thinking 
where's Lolita? Yeah. yeah. The film's called Lolita. Yeah. You know, you can only have so much build up. You know, they, they, they get to Jurassic Park reasonably quick. Yeah. Yeah. You need to get to Lolita. So they, Joseph Stefano wrote like a perfect script, essentially. So if you're going to, if you're going to make a new ad- adaptation of Psycho, you don't necessarily want to use his structure. You want to come up with your own structure. Or do you? I mean, look at Gus Van Sant. He, he did. He used the original yeah. script. Yeah, he, he brought did. the guy back in. They made almost no changes. Yeah. Do you enjoy the remake? Um, I, I found it more interesting watching it now. I think at the time there was such a kind of furore about, you know, this is sacrilege. You can't possibly remake Hitchcock's mm. most iconic best film, etc. And, you know, people saw it as this really kind of cynical cash grab. But watching it now, having kind of put that distance between it and us, it's been 20 years since that film. It's insane. Yeah. Um, it's kind of, it's more interesting to watch it as an experiment and it is a failed experiment because I don't really understand what he was trying to do. Like he, so yes, okay. I understand him using the same script because that taps into the, you know, the age old, age old thing of, you know, give someone a script, give two different directors the same script and they will make two completely different films. So that I get, if he'd just done that, I would have been, okay, cool. But to choose to actually try to replicate Hitchcock's shots, in my eyes, makes it kind of redundant because you're not taking a script and making your own version of the script. You're taking a film and making your own version of a film that already exists. Is it theft? Uh, I don't think it's theft. Is it art theft? It's artistic plagiarism, I guess. But when you wear it that that kind of blatantly... I don't know because he's not taking it's weird because he's not taking any credit for it really but well, it is it is interesting to see like even Gus Van Sant he's admitted that even if you try to copy a film shot by shot you still can't it's still your own film it's not I'm not really the same type of person as Alfred Hitchcock and you really need that thing that he was in order for Psycho to work in the way that it should um, even if he's trying to be this invisible um, kind of update machine where he adds color and he brings it up to the 90s he's not invisible it's still a gus van sant film which is just bizarre because it's a hitchcock film but it's a gus van sant film yeah what, you, what did you take away from it well i i genuinely like the remake hmm. i genuinely like it i get excited because i think art theft art influence art appropriation is a really interesting subject do you know who richard prince is no. So he's a renowned American artist. He used to work in, I think it was like the copy room at Time Magazine or something. And his job was literally, back in the days of print, pull the magazine apart, archive the articles, bin everything else. So he realized after a while, he was left with like a pile of adverts. And he would look at the adverts and they would start seeping into him. And he kept noticing the Marlborough adverts, you know, with the cowboy, the mystery cowboy. He's on horseback or he's rounding up some herds or he's doing that thing with the rope and jumping. You know, the mystery cowboy man who smokes, the Marlborough man. And one day he brought his 35mm camera um, film into, into work and he started photographing 
the adverts. So he'd pin the pages of the magazine up on the wall and he'd focus it just to a point where you can see what the photograph is and it's just sharp enough, but you couldn't see the grain of the paper. Hmm. Then he would take the photo and then he became, he did this for quite a lot, you know, a lot of these Marlboro adverts and he became an art, uh, art scene phenomenon hmm. and he made millions. Wow. He made millions. He, he named his series Cowboy. And the arguments were, he hasn't taken those photographs. So why, why is the copyright being transferred to him? Well, not mm. transferred. Why does he have copyright on those, that image that it encased in his frame? Because he wasn't taking the photo of the piece of paper on the board. He would frame it such a way that the, the, the copy and the, you know, that said Marlboro or the little image of the, the cigarette packet would be framed out. So you'd just be left with a picture of a cowboy. Hmm. So people called him a thief, but yeah. he was making millions. <laughs> and he would say, well, that is my photo. He's not referring to the photo of the cowboy. He's referring to the photo of the photo of the cowboy. Yeah. And it became this, this thing. Like he's chosen how to frame He's edited yeah. work that other people have done. So he's editorializing something. Yeah. I mean, you could look at it and go... But that's like saying, he's taken page something of Oscar old. Wilde. I've taken this page of Oscar Wilde. I'm cutting out that paragraph. I'm going to put it in my book. That means it's mine. It's art appropriation. Do you know, do you know who... Um, you, have to, you have to pay for that nowadays. Not necessarily. If you take song lyrics. If I took... So I, for my book, Vicious Rumor, I wanted to... Um, open the book with a lyric from a Stevie Nicks song mm-hmm. but I couldn't because it's too expensive you have to pay for the right to use those lyrics because they're not mine well the lines are really blurred like do you know who Duchamp is? Oh, Marcel yeah. Duchamp yeah so artist part of the Dardaist movement he took a urinal he moved it on its side and he wrote on the side of it R. Mutt M-U-T-T 1917 and that became a sensation mm. because he'd taken something old, he'd reappropriated it, and he'd signed it as if to say, well, this is art because I am saying it's art. And it's now regarded as one of the most influential pieces of modern art. And interestingly enough, the Tate Modern in London has it, but yeah. they don't. Nobody knows where the original is. He commissioned some replicas so the Tate Modern don't even have the original. They have a remake. Mm. So this is what this psycho brings up, this conversation of taking something from the past, taking something that someone else has created and literally remaking it. Mm. He says that when he was coming up in the film world and he was you know, getting success and studios kept coming to him and saying, what do you want to do? He would say... I want to do this remake of Psycho. And they said, well, we've got all these scripts. Why don't you do the remakes of these? He says, well, if we're going to remake something, let's remake Psycho. And we do it shot for shot. Because if you're going to do a remake, do a literal remake. It's a literal remake. It's not a reimagining or a reboot. Where does the line get drawn between what is acceptable and what's not? Why Why can we be happy with the force awakens being a pretty much a remake of you know the very first star wars in both story and visuals and yet we can't be happy with someone going well i'm just going to be really blatant and obvious about it i'm going to remake psycho 
I think that I don't think people like it if you're that kind of sort of blasé about blasé it. and kind of cynical about it. I think it feels confrontational in some way. And I think that if you're not necessarily trying to do something different, the argument is, well, why bother doing it at all? Even though it's called the Shot for Shot remake, it is different. They do yeah. deviate. It is different. You know, when she's chatting to, and these are only small things, when she's chatting to the car dealer in the 1960s version, she's on the left of the screen, mm. he's on the right. In the 1998 version, they flip that. Yeah. The, um, it's in colour for a start. Yeah. And the colour play is brilliant. It starts off these Hitchcock pastels. And as the film goes on, it becomes a really vibrant late 90s thriller. Mm. Do you know what's weird, though, is that the, apparently the costume designer didn't realise it wasn't going to be a period piece, which is why all the clothes are like psychedelic 70s clothes. And it works. It's, In a weird way, it's it works. It's so weird. It's like true romance, that kind of weird pattern yeah. work. But also the house is different. The house is different, and I don't like that house, but I can see why they changed it. Because, because it it's more so modern. iconic. But also, yeah. it's iconic, and it would just suffocate the movie. It would just remind mm. people this is not the original. They built that in front of the yes, old house. they did, yeah. It? It's and crazy. That, the motel set was built for Psycho 2. Ah. So they used the same set as Psycho 2, but not the first Psycho. There's another difference. So it's not a shot-for-shot shot remake. And, mm. you know, I, I, I wonder if it wasn't... 1960s Psycho, if it wasn't average Hitchcock Psycho and he did something else, would people give a shit? Well, I don't think, I don't think Hitchcock would have really cared either because Hitchcock remade his own stuff. Like he remade... He made the Lodger, didn't he? He remade um, The Man Who Knew Too Much. He, 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 he remade his own film. Yeah. Cecil B. So, DeMille did that as well. Yeah. Ted Kamala, he, really he did care. twice. And also, didn't Patricia Hitchcock, his daughter, didn't she say... She said he would love this. Yeah. He'd be honoured. Yeah. But it came out, no, the, sorry, Psycho 2 came out like a few years after he died. He died in 1980, Psycho 2 yeah. was 1983. Yeah, and Psycho 2 is actually pretty solid. I haven't seen it. I've, I I've, really I've like it. I've barely seen the first. Yeah. <laughs> Psycho 2 is worth watching because it does, it continues the story in an interesting way. Um, so I think yeah. I've seen the opening to Psycho 3. I think it's got a nun up a, a bell tower and she falls. Uh, that might be the fourth one. The fourth one is kind of set in the past and it's, it's kind of Norman as a kid. And his mum is Olivia Hussey from Black Christmas. Oh. Peter, Peter. Peter. And yeah. there's that TV show, Bates Motel. Yes. Which, I, yeah, I've seen the first season of that and it was pretty good. Set in, is it in, in the, in, in, in the Canada universe? Day. It's modern day. Oh. I think it's modern day. Yeah, because she's got, she's dragging around an oxygen tank, his friend. Um, well, they had oxygen tanks in the past. In the 70s. I don't know. 50, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's modern day. I should check it out. I just think it's really ballsy for Gus Van Sant. He could have done anything. Yeah, because he, he was came off shit Good hot, Will Hunting. Good Will Hunting. Yeah. Shit, shit hot for that. And he could have done anything. It's, it reminds me of when um, Nicholas Winding Refn could have done anything because he was suddenly shit hot again off of the back of Drive and he went off to do only God forgives. Mm -hmm. That is the sign of a true auteur, a yeah. true artist where they go, well, I'm not going to do the new Star Wars. I'm not going to do a Marvel film. Mm. I'm going to do whatever I want. And what I want to do is remake shot for shot one of the most beloved films ever. Just to see what happens. Well, it's, a, it's a great, you know, it's a great experiment. And mm. I, I think that you know, 38 years after 1998, so that would be however 
whatever year, I don't know, 18 years from now. So that would be 2036. Mm -hmm. So someone else should release a shot for shot remake of Gus Van Sant's <laughs> yeah, yeah. Psycho and see the differences. And it could be this really cool, like, baton passing on yeah. through the generations yeah. in cinema, almost like a photocopy of a photocopy of a photocopy and yeah. see what, like Chinese whispers, eventually the films are going to be, you know, let's say they do it over 200 years and they do what? Seven films. I'm just doing maths here. The seventh film is going to be so different to the first, mm -hmm. but less different than the second. Yeah. Less different than the third because it's that so many generations away. And it'll be a really cool experiment to see. And people will get really meta with it. Maybe one year it will be a documentary. Yeah. Maybe another year it will be a silent film or a musical. Yeah. I mean, it's been done now, so I feel like all bets are off. And actually, uh, Gus Van Sant is slightly experimental with psycho because he has those odd inserts yeah like the storms in yeah. uh the the in the shower scene. shower scene and his shower scene doesn't work do you not and think so no and the editor even said it just doesn't work you can't yeah. get lightning to strike twice yeah, yeah when you've got like a you know when you're just in the zone and you just can't you can't capture that twice you literally can't capture lightning twice you can put those storm clouds in but lightning's mm. not coming there's no lightning in that shot and actually, there's one thing that both shower scenes do that I find really annoying. Which is? Which is nobody steps into a bath, stands under the mm. shower head and turns the shower 100%. on. 100%. You would be either freezing cold or, or scorching scolded. hot. Yeah. So that's, uh-uh. Both, both those guys got that wrong. <laughs> you turn it on, you go for a wee. You, you were with everything. Yeah. Oh, you go for a wee? Go for a wee, then you get in the shower. Oh, I just stand there, make you know, hand in, hand out, hand in. Then we have to use the other one because it's yeah, it's because the other one's completely yeah, <laughs> yeah. desensitized. It's like when you're in, you know, when you walk into Debenhams and all the perfume hits you, and you uh, can't work out what's Jean Paul Gaultier and what's you know cleaning fluid. Yeah, and you end up like Mr. Bean on the floor gasping for. Yes, air. nobody yeah. ever gets that reference when I make it oh in real life. Oh my god! Um, is this the purest remake ever? No, because Funny Games is the most is the purest remake. Because Michael Haneke made the 1997 Austrian version of Funny Games, and then ten years later he made the American version with Naomi Watts, and that other guy who was in uh, the Dreamers. I always forget his name. He's called Michael something. Michael Pitt. That's the one. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah. So that is the that's like if you're going to use purest, that's the purest remake because it's a filmmaker making the same film again. Just was that shot for shot? Different. Did they differ? I can't remember now. I think they are they are shot for shot, I think, pretty much. They're very, very close. Um, just happen to be in a different language. But then you've got things like Sin City, 300 Watchmen that are kind of panel for panel. Yeah, that was, that was going to be another thing that I was going to say. You know, Robert Rodriguez had on the set of Sin City the physical comic books because he wanted to follow the panel's panel for panel yeah that's why for me that is the most successful not financially the most successful in the creative sense comic adaptation because it's literally like watching a comic book on screen mm -hmm. all that's missing is someone turning the pages yeah which of these films is more likely to be watched by let's say newer audience members the 60s version or the 1998 version well i think actually the 60s version because I wouldn't assume that young film fans, like teenagers, I'm not sure they would even, would know who Anne Hesh is. I'm not sure they would care. Well, they wouldn't know who Janet Lee is. 
No, I mean, but, do they know who Anthony Perkins is? But that is? film has such a legacy behind it. And it's kind of, it's continually celebrated. It's still in top tens, top hundreds. You know, every time, you know, the best horror films of all time, blah, blah, is yeah, on yeah. TV. Psycho is going to be in there. Um, I think the original probably would be the one that they would watch. And it's in black and white. Kids just do not watch black and white films, do they? I don't know. I don't know. It was, this wasn't my first black and white film that I saw. Although Hitchcock was my first black and white because I used to watch... Um, my granddad had Notorious and Saboteur on video, on video for some uh-huh. reason. Okay. So I watched them in black and white. But I think Psycho still feels modern even though it's black and white. It's bizarre. But black and white is such a turn-off for some people. I mean, I find mm. it shocking and ridiculous. I don't understand why. That means mm. they're never going to watch The Artist. Yeah. There's a new film out now, Cold War, that they're never going to mm. watch. They'll never watch. I remember working with people around the time that Sin City came out. Yeah. They asked me what I did on the weekend. I went to see Sin City. Oh, I'm not watching that. Why? It's in black and white. What? It's like people who won't watch films with subtitles. It's like you're missing out on so much great stuff. But so what's the way around it? Remake these things in color for them. Yeah. If they if they if they if they're adverse to watching older films like Citizen Kane or 2001, it's not necessarily, you know, black and white. You know, anything as uh, you know as old as that is the only way around is to do a shot-for-shot remake so they can have Mm. the same experience as we have and audiences over the past 50, 60 years, but they get it fresh and new. But that's the difference between art house and popular cinema, I would say. It's like art house does what it wants. It's not worried about being slightly too out of reach or Mm. too um, unclassifiable, whereas popular cinema is basically... You're the lo- you know the lowest common denominator. We're going to appeal to you, that guy there. And I feel like that's really sad. Do you think this one hurt Gus Van Sant's career? I think it did actually, because he's not really done much else. That I mean, Milk obviously was phenomenal. Yeah. Um, and got rewarded for being so great. But since that, I mean, he did the Sea of Trees with Matthew McConaughey, which was a huge flop. He's got a film out this year called Don't Worry, He Won't Get Far On Foot. Yeah. Which looks all right. But Psycho was such a flop. Like, Gus Van Sant thought it was going to be a huge blockbuster. He thought that this was the big hit of 1998. Actually, the same year that films like Scream 2 came out, and Scream 2 was a huge hit. And that was a (laughs) horror film that didn't try to... Well, that was a sequel. It was, yeah. And it was completely if it you know if there, if there was no psycho there wouldn't be all these no slasher films so it's weird that that suddenly becomes yeah the the, the way to in, you know that's the way to interpret everything in a fresh way mm. i think yeah i don't think that gus van sant has really recovered although to be honest he's always made kind of small indie films yeah so I mean, he was still making films after Psycho. He he's had like five or six films since then. Yeah, he so, did uh, Elephant, which blew me away. Yeah, in, yeah. At film school, I loved it. Yeah, that was insane. So I hadn't seen anything quite like that. Yeah, when when that came out, that was it was like a you know it was literally like a stab to the back. Wow, but in a you know in, in, in a great in a, way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not in a psycho way. Yeah, not in a psycho way. But you know, he's 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 he seems to me to be a sort of filmmaker who's artist first business filmmaker yeah. second yeah so in that sense i don't think it has hurt his career it's hurt his profile in terms of people knowing him as like an uh, a well-known name if you're not a fan of film yeah 
know, if you say to anyone, Steven Spielberg, they'll know who he is. Yeah. If you say to someone, Gus Van Sant, not entirely sure they'll know who he is. But they'll know his films. But, they will know Milk. Yeah, true. And possibly My Own Private Idaho, just yeah. because of the Keanu. Yeah. Have I don't you, think um, any. I don't think anyone, you know, who is, you know, my boyfriend isn't necessarily connected to film in any way. He, if it wasn't for me, I'm not, I'm not bigging myself up here, but if it wasn't for me, he wouldn't see certain films. No. You know, the first time we went to cinema, we went to see Carnage and he didn't know who Roman Polanski was at all. Wow. Which is not such an unusual thing. No. When Roman Polanski hasn't been relevant since he Rose raped a 13 year old. But you know what I mean? You know, yeah. you know, you say to someone who's a regular cinema goer, someone who likes The Rock, I guess, someone who's, oh, I can't wait for the new skyscraper film, whatever. You say Gus Van Sant, they're not immediately going to go, oh, the psycho guy. No. They're going to go, who? He made milk. Oh, yeah, I think Good I've heard of that film. So he's not a household yeah. name. He's a artistic, art house, cinema circle kind of guy. Mm. Did you know that his psycho has actually kind of been remade already? What, Gus Van Sant's psycho? Yeah. Or the fact that he, this is the second time he remade psycho? No, it's it's... Steven Soderbergh made an artistic oh, film. Oh, yes. I did hear about this. Psychos. It's on the internet. You Was he cut it. in between the two? Or? So each scene change yeah. is it flip-flops between 60s version and 98 version. I'd like to see that because, you know, across the two films, you have a perfect film because I don't think the first one is wholly successful mm. and nor do I think <clears throat> the second one is wholly successful. There are parts of the second film that I actually think are way better than the first. Well, the psychiatrist bit at the end is way better in the, in the remake. It, it's still really fucking lazy, but, yeah. but because it's Robert Forster, it's bearable to watch because I yeah. love that man. But Hitchcock hated that scene in his film as well. But why did they put it in? So, it's so lazy. Because it's Paramount, almost like... Paramount were like, nobody knows what a psycho is. It, but it's like another half an hour of the movie. Yeah. You could have had that come out in a much... That's almost the sequel. Yeah. That's almost the sequel. Yeah. Um, but the, you know, in the original when Billy Loomis comes in and he, he Billy fights. Loomis. Is his name Billy Loomis? What's his name? <laughs> That's the guy from Scream. Sam Who, Loomis. Sam Loomis, who's actually the, the name, they nicked that name for Halloween, didn't they? Yeah. Um, so he comes in and he confronts Norman Bates and they have a bit of a struggle and then they have like a really shit fight and he passes out. And then when Norman is like being wrestled to the floor, he's like, it's like, yeah. like, like Chandler Bing making that face. <laughs> I think those two scenes are done way better in the remake. That's true. I give you that. And I like how the, the downstairs in the remake is like an aviary and yes. the body is watching the birds. It's very yes. cool. That's like a nice little tip of the hat to Hitchcock's the birds, obviously. Oh, yeah. Well, um, that would be a future tip. It was like, that film was in the late 60s, wasn't it? Or the early 70s? Well, it was a tip back if it was a film in 1998. Oh, I see what you mean. Right. I thought yeah. you meant... No, okay. I get what you mean. Um, but the, the Steven Soderbergh cut down version, where he, he's edited them both together. Yeah. Weirdly, that film is only one hour, 24 minutes. <laughs> I guess, I guess because there's certain disparities in between yes. the scene length. Yeah. Oh, it's so the, you the films lose are, 20 the, minutes. Even the, the Psycho and the Psycho, they are different lengths. One's an hour they and 45, are. one's an hour and 37. Yeah, but weirdly, at the 57 minute mark of both films yeah. is the fade to black at the swamp. That's either a nice happy coincidence or it was around that minute mark where yeah. it was happening and they said, well, let's just shave it down. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the Soderbergh version also, the only bit where... The two films play at the same time as the shower scene, yes. obviously, and it doesn't and quite superimposed. Does it? 
The only bit that they are they line up is when she's against the wall and she's reaching out for the shower curtain. That's the only bit they line up. That's the only bit that lines up. Okay. Did you not think that the, the Anne Hesh one, when she collapses <laughs> over it, is really <laughs> porny? Well, you see her arsehole. You can basically see her bumhole. Well, Hitchcock wanted that shot in the original. Oh, really? Yeah. But oh. he, he obviously, you, there's no way he was going to be allowed that in 1960. Yeah. There's, there's a really quite horrific and sad um, other link between the films. Yeah. Which is the, the uh, Janet Lee's body double in the shower scene in Psycho. Yeah. She was brutally like raped and killed uh, in 1988 or something. I don't think she was killed. She was killed. She definitely wasn't killed. Really? Yeah, because... Is she in the documentary? <laughs> she's in that documentary. Oh, right. <laughs> 7852, the one yeah, I sent you yeah. a picture of. She's, she talks quite happily in that, but she ah. possibly she was raped, but she wasn't killed. Okay, well, I'm glad that she's alive. Yeah. But they found, they charged and sent to jail the guy who um, attacked her, like the day 98 came out, I think. Wow. That's yeah, it's really fucked up. A weird bit of synchronicity. Yeah. Which one of these would you watch again? I actually really enjoyed watching the two of them back in a to weird back. way. Yeah. Yeah. It's bizarre that... It's the ultimate double bill. It really is. Yeah, I think that you do get you do get something out of it. You do kind of... It's a very interesting experiment from a, a film fan's perspective. And yeah, there are bits about the original that aren't hugely successful. I think the, the highs that Hitchcock hits are, you know off the planet higher yeah. than anything Gus Van Sant accomplished. But they both have pluses and minuses, I think. So I would, yeah, if I watched it again, I probably would actually watch both back to back. But if you I had w- to pick one though? But if I could stop, I would just watch the 1960 version. Always. This is, okay, this is a thing that I thought was weird with both films as well, is that when, um, when Lyda Crane is like, and did he kill my sister? The psychiatrist is like, I'm sorry, yes. She's like, oh, I'm just going to sit there. And she doesn't seem to care. <laughs> all that panic for nothing. And I mean, both times. And she's like spent all this time trying to find her sister. And it's like, yeah, sorry, by the way, she's dead. But anyway, Norman is like so fucked up. <laughs> it's like, That's because oh. that scene is so badly written. Yeah, it is. It's if the they worst. had deviated from the 1960 film, then maybe they could have edged over just in that last moment. Mm. I just, I just hate that scene. Yeah. I like what comes next with Norman, you know, talking to himself as mother and looking into the camera. Mm. And I don't mind that fourth wall break and it really draws us in. It almost yeah. makes us his accomplice. Like we know what was going on, but we watched it anyway. Mm. But poor old Marion, no one cares. No one really cares. Not even her sister. She broke the law. That's what happened. Don't break the law, kids. You'll get killed by a psycho. Twice. <laughs> Three times if you're looking at Steven Soderbergh's <laughs> yeah. film. So that was Psycho, directed by Alfred Hitchcock, and Psycho, directed by Gus Van Sant. What do you think about Psycho, both versions? Do you have a preference? Was it sacrilege that it got remade by Gus Van Sant? Let us know. We're on Twitter, at TornStubsPod, and you can give us a like and a listen and a subscribe on the Apple Podcast app. And if you like film, music, and culture, head to movetotrash.co.uk. We're off for a shower. Until next time... I remain Robert Gershenson. I'm Joshua Winning. Cut. <laughs>